It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me, or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. And uh, I've said before, and I apologize for repeating, oh, I didn't take some of you from the message to you, but I'm leaving out a lot of people here. I apologize. I'm going to get in trouble. But anyway, we'll get back to that. But um, uh, we, um, uh, you know, there's a lot that that is, is happening. Yeah, a lot that's happening. That's your president uh, at the G7 summit. We're learning more about what happened there, his confusion. We're actually even learning that the Labor Party, off the record, was saying that he can't keep up with the events. He can't even follow note cards. Yeah, so that's a serious problem. But while he's doing that, he's also agreeing to all the things that the European leaders who are left of the left of the left, off the cliff, if you've been in Europe, if you've lived there, uh, he's agreeing to the things that they want when it were in, in, com- in terms of a global tax, which will hurt America, and in terms of our energy reserves. And I'm not, I don't have time to break that down, but let me just say Daily Torch has a story about that. But I, and also, so today, the president of the United States, Joe Biden, uh, who can't follow the G7 summit, is going to meet with po- Putin and put him in his place. They're having a big meeting today, so that will be interesting. Vladimir Putin and Joe Biden. I'd like to be a fly on the wall. Maybe I wouldn't. It might be a little bit too distressing. Uh, but trust me, you know, Biden's going to put uh, uh, Vladimir Putin in his place. It would be interesting to watch that happen, wouldn't it? Not really, but that's our president. Meanwhile, the rest of the world seems to be a little bit smarter about what's happening in our country than we do, especially Australia. Uh, Sky News had a very interesting report on their observations about Joe Biden on the world scene and uh, our press. Let's listen. I want to go to the U.S. now because the media has been gushing as their beloved Joe Biden prepares for his trip to the United Kingdom to attend the G7 summit. Listen to how CNN is reporting this momentous event. Joe Biden is stepping onto the world stage for the first time as president and equal to foreign leaders. Now let's go back in time to 2018 and see if those same newsrooms offer the presidency of Donald Trump such light and positive coverage. Attic and deepening G7 divide, better put perhaps as G6 versus one. <laughs> Sophie, uh, they're essentially, they're, they're calling it the G6 when Trump's there, but Joe Biden's there and it's, and it's momentous and it's positive and it's glowing. And, and it's, it, they're trying to give the illusion that he doesn't have any disputes with any of these international uh, leaders. <laughs> what do you think of that? I just think Joe Biden is a lucky person. He has got <laughs> all the media on his side, or most of the media on his side, particularly CNN, uh, completely at odds with what they did to Trump. So, uh, you know, his popularity surely can only win from this because he's getting so much positive PR through the journalists who are massive fans of him. It's really quite appalling to watch. And what happened to straight news reporting, which doesn't seem to be existent there? 
Nick, it's not really journalism, is it? It's 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 they're stenographers in a way, aren't yeah. they? They're, they're yeah. documenting history, but they're not being critical. But mm. with Trump, ultra critical, inflammatory in some in some always, ways. Always, always. Trump could do no right. I mean, give Biden, <laughs> give Biden his due. He did get to the top of the Air Force One steps without tripping over his shoelaces. Good on him. But <laughs> look, I mean, me too. the reality is, you know, if you talk to Greg Sheridan on the Australian or anybody who knows about foreign affairs, there are considerable question marks over Biden's foreign affairs policy. It's not proven yet. Uh, whereas it was the one area, in, in fact, in which Donald Trump did very well, pivoting on China. Uh, bringing about the Abraham Accords, which, which is a big step towards peace in the Middle East. The, the worry about Biden is whether he really does have control or, or really the, the nerve or, or, or the confidence to impose American power in the way that Trump did. So, you know, I'm much, I would be much happier to see Donald Trump at the G7, I think. Well, of course, none of that's new news to any of us, but the new news is that Sky News in Australia is publicly reporting what we see every day, what we've been knowing about, what at least half of America seems clueless about, and that is that we've been lied to on so many levels. All right, so I want to now diverge because I want to tell you about two events. I mentioned one of them yesterday, so hang with me here. If you're in Virginia, uh, there is a huge fight in Virginia by parents and concerned citizens to take that state back because it has been corrupted by the left. There's just no question about it. The whole issue of critical race theory has awakened a whole army of parents. Uh, And so Virginia's Freedom Festival is taking place this Saturday, June the 19th, from 2 to 5. Uh, People are going to be converging. Uh, Where are they converging? (laughs) Let's see. Um, It's, uh, oh gosh, I can't see the place. But oh, Centerville! It's uh, it's going to be in Centerville, and you can sign up by going to Virginia's Freedom Festival online. You can find it; it's on our Facebook page. Uh, but all kinds of people will be there to speak. Chris Plant uh, is a legendary in the DC market, also Chicago. He's a nationally syndicated host, and he'll be there along with David Clark, uh, the legendary sheriff from Milwaukee. Uh, and other people, Brenda Tillett, who's part of Stand Up Virginia, they're hosting this. Lots of people are hosting this, lots of co-sponsors. And uh, listen, if you want to find like-minded people on the issues facing the country, really, Virginia, remember, that's Northern Virginia, uh, mid- midpoint of Virginia. They are they are right there near D.C. They're, they're partners. They're, they touch shoulders. And so, uh, so much of what happens in our country revolves about what happens in Virginia. So... Uh, all of you, all of us, that's the reason I mention it, because I know it has tremendous effect on the country. What happens in Virginia often reflects what's going to be happening in the country. So uh, June the 19th from 2 to 5, and you can find information on, you go to info at stand-up, no, that's different. I'm sorry, I need to be consistent here. I've got too many things I'm trying to promote this morning. It's a Virginia's Freedom Festival, Festival, and you can find it online. You can find it on our Facebook page, and I hope that you will go, for heaven's sake, go, and I'll be anxious to hear all about it. Meanwhile, in Michigan, uh, we haven't talked about Michigan since I've been back since Monday, but Michigan has been on fire. And uh, so they're having a rally tomorrow. That's June the 17th from 10 to 2 p.m. It's going to be at the Michigan Capitol House, and it's a Let Freedom Ring, and it is, um, I'll read what they say. We're calling on all Christians, patriots, and conservatives to join us on our state capitol lawn and be part of a Let Freedom Ring accompanied by a road rally where people from all over the state of Michigan can make their voices heard. True election integrity can only be realized if we the people encourage our state legislators to take action to bring forth a true forensic audit. Our state and nation hangs in the balance, and we will be people of prayer 
and of action. And that was sent to me by former state uh, Senator uh, Pat Kolbeck and others are involved as well. But that's tomorrow at 10 o'clock at the Capitol uh, in Michigan. So I just want, I know a lot of you listen from those states and you love your state and you love your country. And so those are places that you'd probably like to hang out with some people. Uh, And I'd love to hear again after uh, tomorrow, I'd like to hear, well, maybe next Monday we can talk about kind of an update, open the phone lines and find out what happened at those events. So let me know, and I hope that you can just encourage each other in prayer. Listen, if even if God does not answer in the way that we pray, there is something so beneficial about spending time with him. It empowers you. Um, the, gosh, I hate that word because it doesn't mean like uh, Power Rangers or some cartoon. It gives you an inner strength, a peace, a connection, uh, with the God and the creator of the universe that transcends all the things that are happening in your life and on this planet, and it gives you strength. And uh, anyway, so the prayer rally is uh, tomorrow morning from 10 to 2 in, um, at the Capitol in Michigan. All right, now quickly, uh, Julie, uh, Julie, oh, man, Julie, Julie, who was a, uh, Julie Kelly, uh, was our guest. She's the one that's been reporting so faithfully on what's happening to the people that went to the Capitol on January the 6th. Uh, to encourage President Trump at that rally, and then some went to the Capitol, and you know the rest. The FBI's arrested 500 of them, something like 500, and, and many are held in solitary confinement. Julie was on last night with Mark Levin, and I'm so happy, so, so happy. And I want you to hear a little bit about what their interaction was like. Here's Julie Kelly. I think what the American people need to know is that the U.S. government, Joe Biden's Justice Department, is holding political prisoners uh, in a jail in Washington, D.C. that has been opened up specifically to house uh, January 6th defendants awaiting trial. They've been denied bail. Uh, They're living in harsh, almost solitary confinement conditions in this jail. Um, But what's overall happening is we can get into the specifics of what's happening at this jail. I call it the deplorable jail because that's, of course, how the Biden regime views these people. But the FBI and DOJ continues this nationwide manhunt. They've arrested almost 500 people now, mostly for misdemeanor Mm. charges related to what happened on January 6th. This is a political persecution against Trump supporters. And uh, the American people need to know what is happening and why it's happening. Yeah, and Julie's been doing great reporting on that. Others have sort of picked it up, and certainly I've been beating the drum on this. Uh, and uh, we just want people to know what's happening. Because uh, I watched a CBS report last night with Catherine Herridge, who I really respect. Catherine, you know, left Fox and went to CBS. Uh, but she, her report, which I, I wish I had time to play it for you this morning, but uh, it's basically the FBI talking points about, and, and also just short-clipped videos of, uh, of what happened on that day. But not that video that I posted on Facebook yesterday that shows about 10 uh, black ten men dressed in black, uh, with uh, tactical weapons, breaking into the Capitol, uh, co- covered with black. They don't look like they were at the Trump rally. Sorry, they just don't look like they were at the Trump rally. They look like they were planning something much more nefarious. And that's a video that did not come from the FBI. Someone else got a hold of that. Uh, so uh, they didn't show that video. Interestingly enough, but uh, at some point we'll talk about that. But the narrative to people who are watching CNN and other news outlets is very different. And uh, that I, it's not to say that people who were at the Capitol on January the 6th who went inside, that none of them did anything wrong. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm telling you they're painting a picture that's 
just distorted. And that shouldn't surprise you. Maybe Sky News should cover this. Maybe they would do a fairer job. But anyway, Julie was uh, on with Mark, and Mark asked her, of course, about the weapons. And remember when she was with us, she told us, I'm not going to play that portion, because she told us then that not a single person who entered the Capitol had any kind of firearm. No one was charged with having one, with using one. The only person that used a firearm was that person, a Capitol policeman, Secret Service. We don't know who, who shot uh, the the, uh, the the American veteran and killed her, uh, and we don't know his name, and they won't tell us his name. So uh, no weapons that people carry, like small batons, um, th- because they were going to D.C. If you go to D.C. right now, if you've seen the riots this past year, I can tell you we never go to D.C. without some sort of protection uh, because you don't know what you're going to face on the streets. It's been all-out war there. And so uh, that's how people were armed. I just think there's an explanation for that, and I don't think it means that they went into the Capitol to do an insurrection. Uh, if they did, they were really poorly armed. They were very ill-equipped to, to, to pull off that insurrection. That's a point that Senator Ron Johnson has made repeatedly. Okay, so then uh, Mark asked Julie about how Antifa and Black Lives Matter have been handled, and this is her response. They referred to this as an armed insurrection. Nancy Pelosi came out on January 7th, held a very dramatic press conference and referred to the events of January 6th as an armed insurrection. So that was all it took for the media and plenty of Republican politicians to go ahead and echo that that line, that this was armed. But Mark, not one person has been charged with carrying or using a firearm inside the Capitol building that day. As you know, the only person who used right, a weapon. So I think we've got the wrong clip there. But uh, let's go to number four because she's talking about the jail conditions, and I do want you to hear that. So let's listen just a little bit of it. Jail on female detention orders that are being so requested by the Justice Department and signed off on by federal judges in Washington, D.C. These people have not engaged in one minute of a trial. This, the, In fact, their trials could be delayed until next year, which is really what the Justice Department is trying to do. So in this pretrial detention orders, these people are denied bail. One man who is accused of allegedly spraying Brian Sicknick with the pepper spray, a federal judge denied a $15 million bond package put together by 16 of his family members. And this judge, 83-year-old Reagan appointee, said he could not see any circumstances to let this man out of jail because he attacked a cop. Now, think, oh, thinking about what you just said, what we saw over and over in 2020 and still see in cities every night, um, the fact that these people are treated differently if they allegedly, and this is all allegations, it's all based on evidence that the government is putting together based on videos that only the government has access to. They're keeping this trove of over 14,000 hours surveillance footage captured um, by the Capitol security system that day. They're keeping that under wraps, away from defense attorneys, away from defendants. They're sort of cherry picking these clips, using this as evidence. And that's the evidence presented in court to convince these judges to keep these people behind bars Again, awaiting trials that could be still months and maybe a year away from their original arrest and uh, detention time. Right, I'm going to so interrupt Julie because uh, constant- we're going to probably revisit this tomorrow. This is an incredible article in Involve. It's an outlet that's I don't know much about it, actually, but I've seen it a lot and I've come to trust 
the things that it uh, presents because I know I have first-hand knowledge of this stuff. Uh, so uh, Julie goes on to report a lot of things. Uh, we know that um, she's also saying that she's hearing now that in this deplorable jail, that's what she calls it in D.C., uh, they're going to do severe lockdowns because of her appearance and Mark's coverage of this last night. We just pray that that's not so. We need to pray for those people, not forget them, because this is a gulag, really, for uh, Trump supporters. It's just horrific. It's horrific. We'll come back and talk about it later. Sandy Rios in the morning, AFR Talk. Let's see. If something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that's MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for health care can save the typical family 500 bucks a month. And that's huge, but it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The customer satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works. It's been around for more than a quarter century, and members have shared more than $3 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with, you can call right now and get a price within two minutes. A very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Lopa Kaluri, Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary for the Office of Housing. Her office is responsible for policies, programs, and operations supporting home buyers and homeowners in the United States. Luke 10.5 reminds us of the importance of peace in the home. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide Lopa Kaluri in her role at HUD. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. Enrich your prayer life and pray for America and our leaders with our daily National Leadership Prayer Journal. Get yours now at pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. Are you looking for a university that provides a quality Christian education with excellent academic and athletic programs? Well, I want to invite you to visit Liberty University, where they offer multiple visiting opportunities to fit your schedule. Plan a visit to their Central Virginia campus and stay for an afternoon, a day, or an entire weekend. You can also take a virtual tour from the comfort of your own home. Plan your visit today by texting Go Visit to the number 49596. Again, that's Go Visit to the number 49596. Parents in Northern Virginia have filed a federal lawsuit against the Loudoun County School Board, accusing school leaders of implementing radical theories about race and gender. The breaking point was apparently a new bias reporting system that, in effect, turns students into speech police. Liberty Justice Center is representing the moms and dads. They say students who refuse to embrace critical race theory are being ostracized. Liberty Justice Center also says white students are being denied participation in special programs. Only students of color or those who pledge their allegiance to be allies are allowed to join. The school district recently appointed a supervisor of equity. That position oversees student speech police with the power to name and shame fellow classmates who don't agree with their political viewpoints. 
It's basically school-sponsored bullying and discrimination. I'm Todd Starnes. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. I've said I'm going to go to the border. And I... when are you going to the border, Vice President? The administration has asked. I'm not finished. <laughs> I've said I'm going to the border. And also, if we are going to deal with the problems at the border, we have to deal with the problems that cause people to go to the border, to flee to the border. And that is the root causes. So my first trip as Vice President of the United States was to go, in terms of a foreign trip, to Guatemala, to be on the ground there, to address and to, and to be informed of the root causes. Why are the people of Guatemala leaving? Do you have a date? Tiene una fecha para su viaje a la frontera para ver la situación con sus propios ojos. I, I will keep you posted. You know Kamala Harris is in trouble when she's in trouble with Univision. She was with Univision, and of course, she was her usual snarky self, which reminds us why she came in very dead last when she was a candidate for president. She is really highly unpopular, and if people ask me. Uh, why the Democrats continue to put Joe Biden in that position to keep him in the position of president while he is so failing. It's because who's behind him will be worse. Uh, it will make the Democratic Party even less popular. But the, the scary part about it is that Kamala Harris is supposed to be the person in charge of the border. Joe certainly isn't capable. He's not doing well at the G7, did not do well at the G7. And now uh, we have her in charge of the border, which she doesn't want to visit. It's pretty frightening. We know there's chaos. We know that uh, hundreds of thousands of people across the border, we don't know where they are. We know that that means a lot, means a lot to our economic situation. It means a lot to our national security. Well, our, my next guest knows a ton about this. Uh, he was one of the establishers of uh, President Donald Trump's uh, immigration programs, which were so good. I think we all long for them. Uh, John Zedronsky was the director of, is the director of America First Policy Institute's Center for Homeland Security and Immigration. And before that, uh, with Donald Trump, he served several roles, including deputy assistant to the president in the office of the senior advisor for policy. He also served on Capitol Hill with Ted Cruz and Daryl Issa. Uh, he served with the George W. Bush administration, and we could go on and on. He's got great credentials, and he joins us this morning. Good morning, John. Good morning, Sandy. Thank you for having me on your show. My pleasure. My pleasure. You must be, I, I can't even imagine, I know that you and Chad Wolf and Ken Cuccinale, good friend of mine, had just really poured your heart and soul in trying to correct what already was chaos at the border. That's what President Trump inherited. It must be very uh, debilitating to watch what's happening now. And I think that's correct, Sandy. I, I, I'll, uh, there were many, many people beyond the, the three of us that you mentioned involved in this, and, and each one of them was a vitally important. And I, I, it's sad in a way because we were successful. Uh, we did things that made the American people safe again, which is a novel thought that the government would actually serve the citizenry. And uh, it's just sad to see a lot of it being dismantled. What, what's disturbing, I think, on some level is the, the current administration, the Biden administration, was given a full readout of all the programs that we had left in place. And knowing full well this was predicted, we told them, not me personally, but the administration told them what was going to happen. 
and they just flipped off all those switches immediately. I think the most important thing for you and your, your listeners to remember is that this is intentional. I think there are some people who may think it's an accident, or, or I, they, a lot of people use the word crisis. I don't think crisis is the right word, because crisis implies happenstance or coincidence. You know, an earthquake is a crisis. A hurricane is a crisis. This is a manufactured mess. Uh, with an end goal of an amnesty policy. They want as many people in the system as possible. They want as many people in the country illegally here as possible, so that in a few months' time, when the system is jammed and everyone's at wit's end, they can say, you know what, let's just give everybody citizenship, and they think that'll solve the problem. Uh, and so I encourage your listeners to be on the lookout for that and let their officials know how they feel about that policy. It's just uh, it's kind of a disaster, but don't forget it's man-made and it's really damaging to the American people. Yes, and, and John, you know, this has been in the works for decades. I mean, I remember well, because I'm from Chicago, uh, under Bill Clinton, uh, along with uh, Ted Kennedy, started with Ted Kennedy. I remember when they p- p- ushered in uh, tens of thousands of immigrants into Soldier Field to swear them into citizen- U.S. citizenship right before the election. You know, this mm-hmm. is a long-term goal uh, where they want to turn America into something different. They talk about the new America. Well, it started back then, and they've been very successful. And this is a continuation, a very dangerous continuation of that policy. Well, uh, there's, a, there's a particular story that I want to talk to you about that people would not know about. We've ta- we know about the people coming across the border. We know that the, the Border Patrol is weary. I mean, it's just unbelievable the position we've put them in. Uh, they're, they're tasked with keeping our country safe, and they have no no back. Nobody's got their back. And so um, it's pretty scary on that level. But there's an office that you guys, I think the Trump administration established, the Victims of Immigration Crime and Enforcement Office, the Voice Office. Is that is that right, John? Uh, that's correct, yeah. The, the Voice Office was set up in 2017 to give a point of contact for American citizens and the family members who've been injured by illegal alien crime, just to be clear, that the left tends to use a straw man and say, well, not all illegal aliens commit crime. That's true. Uh, but the reality is that there was a, an intentional uh, blindness to when aliens did commit crimes in the Obama administration. Uh, again, for the same reasons we talked about for the, the, you know, glutting the system to create an amnesty, because if you acknowledge these people are dangerous, people, even Democrats, start to question the wisdom of letting people stay, and then they want law enforcement. There was literally no way for these people to have a voice in government, so we literally created the voice office, and uh, some of my colleagues were instrumental in that, and it basically not only provided a point of contact for reporting potential cases, but also for relief and sources of support for the family members. Um, and it's funny, too, like, it's amazing to me in some ways, Sandy, how, how it almost seems like they'll, they'll just cancel, this administration will just shut everything off that we did. Um, they can't even acknowledge that people are victims of crime from people who are illegally present in the country. It's just remarkable to me that that's, that's just something that they would do. And they, they don't want these voices heard, but we're going to do our best from the private sector to make sure these voices continue to be heard. Yes, and I'm going to ask you about that in just a second, but just to kind of take people back. You know, there's so much news. It's very hard. I don't need to tell you how hard it is to keep track. It's almost in, impossible. Uh, but when I think back to President Trump running for office, I think about uh, how many times I personally have interviewed people who are victims of illegal immigrant crimes, who've lost their children. I think of Kate Steinle being shot uh, in broad daylight on the pier in San Francisco by an illegal immigrant. That was one of the most notable cases and how there was never any justice there. And then I think about all the other people I've interviewed. And remember, didn't President Trump bring several, I know he did, uh, several of those 
people that I interviewed and others have talked to um, uh, to come to his State of the Union address. I mean, there was a concerted effort to do something on behalf of victims of illegal immigrant crime under President Trump's uh, leadership. And I guess that's where this uh, voice office sprung from. Is that right? Yes, Sandy, that's correct. And, you know, giving giving a, a point of contact for these families, and by the way, there are dozens to hundreds of family members who have been impacted by this crime, was really one of the reasons we, it was important for us to enforce the law, because it's a factual statement to say that in each of those circumstances where an illegal alien was allowed to stay, or in some cases, as in uh, Kate Steinle's murder, uh, the person who committed the crime re-entered I believe at least five times. I don't remember yes, the exact number. Yes, I think that's like, right, when, too. When it's more than once, it's more. It's too many times. And so, uh, basically, that drove home for us the importance of enforcement. So it's factual to say that in each of these circumstances where an American was killed or injured by an illegal alien, if we'd enforce the law with respect to just that individual, they'd probably still be alive. And so that's a, that's a fact that the left has a hard time with because they can't have an honest debate about the source of some of this crime. And I... I think it's important to note that right now, we have no idea who's entering the border, the border that Vice President Harris refuses to visit. Uh, I recently got back from a trip to Del Rio, where I had the privilege of talking with local law enforcement, local leadership, and the community at large. And the stories they tell are horrifying. Um, I can't even, I have no parallel. I've never lived in Texas. I've never lived on the border. But imagine your neighborhood, your family, your friends. You're just living your life. You look out your kitchen window one day and you see 20 guys in camouflage carrying rucksacks and rifles. Um, The the damage that does to your community, the lack of security it creates is just a a national threat. And there's really an intentional blindness about what's happening there. The numbers are so large, there's no way we have any idea what's going on. um, Sandy, you mentioned the Border Patrol before. I just want to add one more thing. They are being intentionally pulled back from the border. In Del Rio, we literally we were there for three days. The group of people I was with, we did not see a single active duty uniformed border patrol agent or border patrol vehicle for three days. Wow! And we went to all the hotspots. We went to a wall that the Biden administration refused to finish. Um, we went to a key, couple of key points where the fence was completed, and other spots where the border patrol had been historically the other communities say there's been a truck there every day for the last ten years, and it's been gone since February. They've been pulled back, and it'd be nice to know what they're actually doing right now. You know, uh, Texas is talking, I know you know this, uh, about uh, completing the border wall. They're talking about, you know, starting to um, enforce their own immigration laws down there. And then I hear this pushback. I just, what do you know about that? And what are your thoughts about them actually being able to do that? Uh, This is a great question, Sandy. This is, uh, we are in a a moment in American history where we need to rediscover the importance of state sovereignty. Yes, (laughs) yes, yes. I think we've gotten a little sloppy on that front. Even conservatives tend to look to Washington for all the solutions and forget that the states are sovereign entities. They're not just appendages of a corrupt capital. Uh, and so I, I think what Governor Abbott's doing is fantastic, and I'm looking forward to other governors joining in and making it clear this is their territory. This is their turf. They have a, a safety to provide for the defense and the, and the public safety of their citizens. And they're going to do so. I think the federal government really has also put itself in a very awkward position. There have been a lot of lawsuits over the years where the federal government has sued states for doing certain things to protect their people. And the courts, for the most part, uh, have said, well, that's a federal immigration function. Some of that is clearly, there are certain things states just can't do. But the reality is that states have a public safety obligation for the people in their states. And so 
most of what the federal government's going to do, they're going to stomp their feet and say it can't be done. But I hope the states stand strong and remember that they have a constitutional obligation to protect their people and do what's necessary. Um, I think the biggest challenge for Governor Abbott's probably going to be money. Um, but I think he's already working on that. And uh, I just I can't say enough good things about the effort. And I hope other states are watching and join in. Yes. And we and we I know people say this often, but it needs to be said again. The problem at the border isn't just a problem for Texas, for Arizona, for New Mexico, whatever other border states. It's a problem that permeates the entire nation. This crime goes everywhere. I think of MS-13 in New England and all those areas up there, the brutal murders, uh, even, you know, around D.C., horrible stories. This is a – the border problem is a problem for each and every state. And so each and every state it may need to take their own actions to stop this because the federal government is going to do nothing. We can hear that from the the laughter of uh, Kamala Harris and the, the confusion of Joe Biden. Uh, the the um, America First Policy Institute is new. I think, I think you guys uh, launched in January, right? Uh, I, I, yes, more or less. I think we technically started in March, but the, the group was coalescing. Uh, Brooke Rollins and others were thinking about this for a while and brought everybody together and um, it's it's a new effort. We're basically going to do our level best to be as objective as we can and do a lot of research and talk to experts and get a lot of information out there. We have a unique opportunity because as bad, this is the silver lining I found, uh, Sandy, as bad as oh, the I'd Biden like administration. One. Yeah, well, this is one. As bad as the Biden administration is so far, based on what I've seen, in my opinion, I think having the contrast of the Trump administration immediately preceding the Biden administration, which is essentially going 180 degrees in the opposite direction on virtually every issue is going to provide a really unique research opportunity for people who want to study public policy in a serious way. We're going to be able to say, look, from 2017 to 2021, we saw these policies put in place. It had these effects. Since January of 2021, we've seen these policies go into effect, and it's had these effects. And it's going to give us a a unique opportunity to really do a compare and contrast. Um, You know, I, I do actually wish this administration success, but their view of success is different than ours. I think we actually want the American people in the country to be successful. And I think they're into a, uh, they'd like fundamental transformation. And most of us like America, and we don't really want it clipped. You know, there are three dozen other socialist countries around the world. I invite them to go there. Yes, Um, exactly. Yeah, we've got something unique here. We want to keep it. Yes, absolutely. uh, Well, John, um, there's the music, but John Zadrozny. 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 It's yeah. Zadrozny. It's, it's yeah. pretty, okay. it, it, for Polish fans, it's not so bad. <laughs> you know what? We'll talk again, John. It's been nice talking to you. And uh, we'll have our eyes on the America First Policy Institute because we certainly are America First. And we, we thank God and we wish you all the very, very best. And we'll talk more to you in the future. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Washington Watch advances a culture where human life is valued and religious liberty thrives. Hello, this is Tony Perkins, host of Washington Watch, right here on the American Family Radio Network, inviting you to join us each weekend for the weekend edition of Washington Watch for the latest from our nation's capital on what is happening as it pertains to faith, family, and freedom. You'll hear from policymakers, congressional leaders, and others each day, 4 p.m. Central Time. Be there. Each year in the U.S., abortion kills more than 800,000 babies. Every one of them was alive, breathing, human, with a soul. More than 50 million babies have been killed since 1973. Thousands of American flags to honor the loss that leaves a gaping hole in so many other lives. Get goosebumps looking at that. COVID-19 is killing people, too. U.S. death toll tonight topping 200,000. 
a little perspective from American Family Radio. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. U.S. support for legal same-sex marriage continues to trend upward, now at 70%, a new high in Gallup's trend tracking since 1996. Republicans, who've constantly been the party least in favor of same-sex marriage, show majority support in 2021 for the first time with 55%. The latest increase in support among all Americans is driven largely by changes in Republican views, according to Gallup. GOP Chairwoman Rona McDaniel's June 2nd tweet celebrating so-called Pride Month seems to reflect this change. Biblical fidelity must not be subjugated to political popularity. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Proverbs says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Brian Fisher here with an excerpt from the Boy to Man book for fathers to read with their 12-year-old sons. Quote, The best answer to prayer I have gotten from God is no. He's the only one who knows the end from the beginning, and when his answer is no, either he is protecting me from something or saving me for something better. I've also learned that the worst things that have ever happened to me are the best things that have ever happened to me. God was using the heartache and anguish and disappointment of each painful thing to prepare me for an important and beneficial change in my life. He will do the same for you. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand." Order a copy of the Boy to Man book today as a Father's Day gift at resources.afa.net, resources.afa.net. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin are meeting today in Geneva. Unfortunately, since this isn't their first date, we pretty much know how it will go. Longtime official note-taker for the then-Vice President's meetings, Mike McCormick, recounts in his unauthorized Biden biography how Putin made a point of humiliating his American interlocutor, whom he clearly considered to be weak and foolish. And that was in Biden's relative prime. Sadly, Mr. Biden has recently earned the Russian dictator's contempt anew. Evidently, the president authorized a major strategic concession, ensuring that our European allies will become even more dependent on Russian natural gas supplies just to get a summit. Then his administration preemptively and unilaterally terminated one of America's very few nuclear modernization programs. Whatever the public atmospherics, you can bank on the upshot of this encounter in Geneva being another win for Putin. This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. 13,131 messenger casting ballots. Mike Stone received 6,278 votes for 47.81%. Ed Linton received 6,834 votes for 52. Well, that's the sound from the Southern Baptist Convention as they elected their new president, Ed Litton. Wow, that's uh, that's stunning news because Mike Stone is the conservative in that race. Al Mueller, also conservative. 
and uh, they were standing against each other. Al Mueller has been traditionally a supporter of um, uh, uh, <laughs> Russell Moore, and that's been probably his undoing, I'm guessing, in this race. And as a result of the split, I guess, of the vote, Ed Litton is the victor, and he's the liberal in this race. So this is not good news for Southern Baptists. Let me just tell you, they're in Nashville. They are uh, they're in heated debate about several issues. There are 16,000 voting delegates. At least they were pre-registered. Uh, and they voted yesterday. There were leaked letters, uh, a leaked letter from Russell Moore where he called. He said he was – they wanted him to live – the leaders of the SBC wanted him to live in psychological terror. Uh, they're still talking about critical race theory. It's really heated. Uh, and it's one of the largest – it is the largest – evangelical Protestant denomination in the country. Our own Rob Chambers is there. Rob is the vice president of AFA Action. He's there representing his own church. Uh, and uh, we want to just get his account because because Rob pays good attention and he can give us a great rundown of what's going on. Rob, thanks for joining us so early out there. Thanks much, Sandy. All right, so uh, <laughs> we just have to go right to that report. Ed Litton won. What happened? Describe what happened and what you saw. Well, first of all, there were uh, there were fourteen thousand three hundred people who voted uh, in the first um, in the first vote, uh, where you had one, two, three. There's uh, four uh, candidates running, and so in the the second vote or in the runoff between uh, Stone and Litton, there were about thirteen thousand one hundred. So um, more than a thousand people did not show up to vote or did not vote uh, in the runoff election. So there are a lot of people here, um, Sandy. And uh, and what people need to understand about Southern Baptist, it's it's a bottom-up uh, type of uh, leadership. Basically, it's um, the the messengers or members of the Southern Baptist churches basically direct the direction of the Southern Baptist Convention. So uh, when you look at this race, what I thought is kind of interesting, you have a Stone uh, Litton uh, runoff. Stone, as you mentioned, a conservative, and in Litton. Um, you know, he's, he's, uh, has supported the critical race theory or has seen no problem with it anyway. So, um, you know, that puts him at odds with some, with, with scripture and even a resolution that passed yesterday. But, um, beyond that, so the, the, the race, so Mueller got 3,700 votes. So a lot of those votes went to, to Lytton. Uh, Mueller had, had made some comments that he's against critical race theory, but Lytton has uh, basically indicated that he was not against it, actually. Doesn't see any problem uh, with that critical race theory, which is basically rooted in Marxist uh, ideology. So, why people uh, went from Moeller to Litton and not Stone, I think, shows where the convention, uh, the messengers of the convention, are going or how they voted. So, Rob, it, it was. Uh, let me ask yes. you this: it, does, it sounds to me, just from uh, this, you know, from my distance away, observing and knowing just a bit about it, it seems possible that. The people that were supporting Al Mueller were a lot of them probably also are keen on Russell Moore and uh, angry with Mike Stone for, you know, forming a commission and studying the effect that Russell Moore's policies have had on the SBC and the dropping off of churches. And so kind of a punishment, kind of a backlash. And I don't know, why would a thousand people not come? Do you think that they assumed that Mike Stone, you think a lot of conservatives didn't come and just uh, assumed that... um, that Mike Stone would win because um, it was just a runoff between the two. Do you think that's why they didn't show I, up? That 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 could be um, a safe assumption, Sandy. That that people. Well, let me let the vote took place at two forty-five, and then it took um, you know a couple hours or so to to count the votes. 
And so there were, it was uh, several hours, I don't know how many hours I had forgotten, but it was uh, 2.15, it was probably at least three hours afterwards. And so um, I hate to say it, but maybe some people just got tired and worn out and, and were ready to leave. I, I don't know the answer to that, but they certainly did leave. And uh, so Lytton won by, I think it was like 500 and some odd votes. So, uh, you know, it wasn't like Lytton won by a landslide. It wasn't like the Southern Baptist has chosen, you know, a, a moderate and some would even say, you know, liberal-leaning uh, candidate for president. Uh, there's there's a strong um, majority within the Southern Baptist Convention, at least that, that were there uh, is there yesterday and today, uh, that are supportive of conservative principles. Yeah, I want to ask you about that. Um, you know, we've been talking about this on the air a lot at, at AFA because we're very concerned about it. Um, do you think that from look? I was reading an Associated Press report of this. You know, like they're the experts on it, oh the SBC. Uh, but uh, they said that this, there's like record turnout. I don't. I know you can't answer this, but we, you know, you speculate. Was there record turnout because uh, because conservatives went to try to sort of rectify what they felt was going badly in leadership, or was it because the 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 woke part of the SBC decided to come out on record turnout? Any any way to know that? What's the atmosphere I, like, I, and can I, you say anything about that? Yes, the, the tenor of, of the meeting is, at least from the floor, a messenger speaking from the floor, you know, there is a, there's a desire to correct leadership. There's a, there's a, there's a pushback against the I guess a um, a drift toward uh, the convention embracing things like critical race theory that are antithetical to to the Bible, and I want to bring up one recommendation that that, that shows that will kind of paint the picture for um, how the the Southern Baptist Convention works and how they resist basically a top down um, authority. It's basically again, as I said, bottom up church autonomy. And uh, so there was a resolution, or excuse me, a recommendation that, that the executive committee put forth to to change their uh, mission mission statement. And the they used the word that the uh, executive executive committee seeks to empower churches. Okay, well that's a top down uh, phrase. Uh, Oxford's Dictionary defines empower as to quote to give power to do something. So the executive committee in their own mission statement is, is saying that they seek to give power to the churches to do something. And so overwhelmingly, the messengers of the Southern Baptist Convention said, no, you're not there to empower us. We empower you. And so they basically changed the word from empower to serve. Uh, that may seem kind of you know minuscule to people who may be listening, but it shows that um, that the, the messengers of the convention are, are opposed to any kind of top-down leadership to try to tell the churches, hey, this is what you're going to do. Yeah. It's, it, it will be interesting, you know, um, uh, we haven't even talked about this Russell Moore letter. Russell, of course, was not running for president. I should explain to people that don't uh, know. He was the head of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, which is the political arm of the SBC. It's based in Washington, D.C. Russell's been very cons- uh, very controversial He's been very controversial to me. I've been a real critic of his for a long time. And uh, he wrote this uh, letter that they say was leaked, but, you know, it's, it was very strategic right before this vote. And basically mm-hmm. the, the, the pull line from us was that the leadership of the SBC want him to live in psychological terror. And he paints a very dire picture of uh, he accuses Mike Stone and others of looking the other way on sex abuse. And uh, he talks about how he was 
threatened by um, racists. Uh, it, it, it's pretty. It's. Um, I wish I could read uh, some of this. It's pretty uh, inflammatory and it's pretty emotional, mm-hmm. um, and compelling. I guess if you uh, compelling if you believe everything that he says. How was was that? Was there any discussion of this? Any kind? Was there a, was there any place in the in the uh, has there been in this meeting to talk about this letter and the divide that it's causing? And Mike Stone's response when he says, you know, I, how, you know, pretty much, how dare you say that? I was abused as a child myself. Why I would never cover up child abuse. Really, some inflammatory well, accusations. What's been the effect of that? Well, there's been no direct mention I, that I recall of the letter itself, but there has been a a push to, I would say, Russell Moore sympathizers to basically to continue. Uh, that same uh, message. Uh, what I would like to say is, is Russell Moore and, and so many pastors, and I even, you know, J.D. Greer uh, even did this, you know, they, they stand up and they, they play this victim card, you know, they're victim, victim, you know, people said this about me, people, people did this, and they, they go on uh, on a diatribe on, on how bad they've been treated. And uh, oftentimes, and, and well, hardly ever do they even mention the people's names. And so, that they turn around and then and then try to get the sick sympathy of of the listener and then and then try to advance their own agenda and so um, you know e- even um, kind of bouncing around here because I want to talk about something else if that's all right yes um, absolutely e- yeah even when the there was a resolution that the Baptist convention or excuse me the uh, Southern Baptist Convention brought up and it was a resolution on the uh, sufficiency of Scripture for race and racial reconciliation. Basically, it was a resolution to combat critical race theory, but it didn't name it by name. It just mentioned the the tenets of of uh, that would be antithetical to to biblical theology. And so, CRT basically says that uh, because someone is born white, they are uh, systemically racist. And uh, so, there was a resolution that pushed back against that, that rejected critical race theory, uh, at least the tenets of it. Well, a messenger stood up at the convention and said, "Look." If something's a skunk, call it a skunk. And they said, and he said, um, critical race theory is a skunk, and we need to add critical race theory in this resolution. Well, uh, I believe it was um, Danny, uh, Ronnie Floyd that was presiding at the time, and uh, I may have that incorrect, but I'm pretty sure that's right. But but he turned around and said, I wish, I wish uh, if people were so uh, excited about the gospel as they are against critical race theory, we could actually get something done. So you, here you have the leadership basically beating down a messenger because they wanted to add the phrase or the words critical race theory to be clear what the Southern Baptist Convention is opposing. And so um, there, there's uh, the, the people in leadership at, at Baptist churches and sometimes at the convention level, they, they play the victim card or they turn around and attack the messenger themselves. And so it's, uh, it, it's, it, it's quite telling. You know, Rob, I just want to make an observation because I think it's important. Uh, I think there a lot of people will be listening to this, uh, Christians now. Well, non-Christians too, so hear me, please. Uh, Christianity is not devoid of conflict. There was conflict in the very first church. Uh, they right. made held each other accountable, and they disagreed. There were disputes between Paul and Silas, disputes between uh, Paul and Timothy. There were disputes between uh, Paul and Peter. Uh, and they are not covered up in Scripture, and I and and then historically in the church there have always been disputes, and I don't view this as weakness. 
I think weakness is being quiet and whispering about mm-hmm. each other, but not fighting. I call for an all-out fight. I just, I believe in it. I believe that speaking the truth and just battling these things uh, and uh, coming to, uh, to, to the right conclusion biblically is what uh, any kind of group of evangelical serious Christians in church, local churches everywhere need to do. Confront the problems. It's going to be messy. It's going to be embarrassing, but it does not mean that there's no God. God created us. He knows. That's why Jesus said, you know, how long must I bear with you? Uh, they, they, mm-hmm. God created us. He understands our humanity. But there's a great need to get to the bottom of what's true and what isn't. And so I think that's what's happening with Southern Baptists. Okay, so now, Rob, uh, this, this is a mess because Ed Litton is a, a, a very much a liberal, more, more overtly a liberal probably than J.D. Greer, even though J.D.'s policies— and support were certainly liberal in the in the final analysis. I'm just wondering if this is going to cause more churches to withdraw support. What do you, What do you think? Well, uh, one thing that's that that is helpful within that the that the that the uh, Southern Baptist Convention has done is that they have uh, passed these resolutions uh, on on basically racial reconciliation that basically rejects critical race theory. Although it doesn't mention it by name, uh, it does in principle. Thirty and seconds, so Rob. That get, Pardon? 30 seconds. Okay, well, so basically the uh, the convention has put in guardrails that basically are going to parameters for uh, Lytton to function in. So that means he can't go and endorse or embrace critical race theory because he will be acting contrary to the Southern Baptist Convention's uh, uh, resolution on that. So uh, one quick thing, they, they put a resolution opposing the Equality Act, which is great, and they also passed a resolution uh, supporting the Hyde Amendment as well. So those are two okay. great things that, uh, Good. that the, the convention has done. Good stuff. Uh, Rob, thank you. Hey, listen, I wish we had more time, but again, Rob is our vice president of AFA. Actually, he does a great job uh, representing us in, uh, in the, the political affairs uh, and legislation. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.